Today we're going to be in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1. We're only going to get through three verses, if the Lord wills. I hope and I trust that all of you had a blessed Thanksgiving wherever you found yourselves this weekend, whether that was with family or alone with the Lord. I know some people ended up in that situation. Um, there's just so much for us to be thankful and grateful for, is there not? Not the least of which is to be able to gather here together. Um, I know this is something that I look forward to multiple times a week because this life is not one we can live on our own, amen? So there's much to be grateful for, to be able to gather, and if nothing else, simply to know God, uh, to be able to know Him and be known by Him, and that is the core of our text this morning, knowing God, knowing Christ. And I'm very excited to be able to uh, dig into God's Word with you guys this morning. Grateful you're all here. Let's go before the Lord before we begin. Father, thank you that we're able to come into your presence. God, that your dwelling place is among us through your Son, Jesus. I thank you that you've given us new life in him, that you've given us the hope of eternity, and that you've given us everything we need for this life in yourself. Lord, you are a great provider. You are a great father, Lord, and you know all of our needs before we even ask, and you meet them, Father, abundantly beyond what we could ever imagine, Lord, you've provided and given. You are so gracious and wonderful, Lord. Thank you that you've allowed us to come together today to hear your word and to be taught by it, encouraged by it. I ask that you'd fill us with your spirit, Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us. I ask that you'd bless everyone here listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we start out with a question. What is the purpose of the Christian life? Don't shout it out. Probably get a hundred different answers. Or what's the, what's the purpose of life in general? What should we be spending our few and precious days here on earth doing? There have been many there have been many great answers offered to this question uh, throughout time, throughout history. The one that we're very familiar with is to worship God and enjoy Him forever. You've probably heard that one before. Um, to be made into the image of Christ, perhaps. To glorify God. All of these things are true. These are all great answers. One of the most simple ones, you've probably heard this one, is to know God and to make Him known. Has anyone heard that one before? to know God, and to make him known. And in our short passage today, I would have loved to do this whole chapter, but I'm pretty sure there's at least a dozen sermons in this chapter, so really had to trim things down. But in our passage today, Peter reminds us of the wonderful privilege of knowing God, of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this letter here, 2 Peter being written by a man, whom we know as Peter, formerly Simon, who in the first chapter actually tells his audience that his life on earth is soon to be coming to an end. He is getting ready to be executed in Rome. He knows his time left alive is short, and these are, in, in such a way, his closing words to the churches he's been writing to. And his aim is to stir his readers up 
toward a holy and a God-pleasing life with his final letter and to warn and refute against false teachers and scoffers who would come against the knowledge that he had given them of Jesus, of Christ, of salvation, of the things of God. And so this is Peter's final mission in writing this letter, ultimately. But our focus this morning is going to be on his foundational opening statement that he begins with. It's a letter, as we'll see, that begins like almost every epistle in the New Testament, every letter. It begins with our favorite thing in the world, theology, right? You guys excited? That's right. Theology, the knowledge of God. And the wonderful thing about this introduction, I'm going to keep hitting this tent. Hold on. There we go. The wonderful thing about this introduction is that Peter seals the gap between theology and living, between knowing God and living for God, between head knowledge and practical application. Because a lot of the times we, we kind of come wanting one or the other, right? We're like, oh, just, just tell me about God and how great he is, but I don't really want to have to worry about the stuff, you know, on my end. Or on the flip side, just tell me what I need to do, right? Give me five steps to fixing my sleeping habits from God, you know? Don't tell me about all this theology stuff. I don't need all that. Well, with our passage today, Peter answers for us how the two are inseparably related. They are conjoined. They cannot be pulled one from the other. Knowledge of God and living the Christian life. And that all begins with the first and most crucial and foundational thing pertaining to the knowledge of God, and that is the saving knowledge of God. As we open up in verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So the great apostle Peter speaks of himself. He introduces himself first as a servant, or as it's more um, directly translated, a slave. Now, in our minds, that takes us in a million different places, so we stick with servant. But he introduces himself as a servant of Jesus. This is the same way that Paul introduces himself when he opens the letter. It's the same, say, the same way that James introduces himself. It's the same way that Jude introduces himself. They all use the same phrase, a, a slave, a servant of Jesus. And notice he says servant first, and then he mentions, oh, and an apostle of Christ, right? This man, Peter, was a man who literally walked and talked with Christ on earth, in the flesh, face to face, just as we see each other now. A man who knew him personally, right? He could literally pick Jesus out in a lineup. He could say, oh yeah, that's him right there. He knew what he looked like. Can you imagine that? He saw Jesus do many miracles, he literally walked on water with him. Okay, let's try and put our minds there. Some of us can't even swim. Peter <laughs> literally walked briefly on water with Jesus. He saw Jesus res resurrected from the dead in the flesh. This man, Peter, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Okay, this is kind of his resume here, so to speak. He addresses his audience. You look here in verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. In light of everything we know about Peter, what an amazing statement he makes here. He's writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. Some translations say equally precious. Some say held in equal honor. The NASB says of the same kind, writing to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. And when he says ours, we don't know exactly who he's referring to, but certainly ours means he's included in that group, right? Perhaps it's me and the rest of the apostles, me and the rest of the saints. Regardless, he boasts nothing of his own faith or his own office as an apostle. He doesn't say, oh yeah, y'all, you, you, you received a faith and it's, it's like mine, all right, it's like mine, but uh, it's not quite there. See, I actually knew Jesus. I could, uh, I could pick him out of a crowd. You guys, you only know about him. No, he says, I'm writing to you who have the faith of the exact same kind as me, Peter, the man who walked with Jesus, lived with Jesus for years on earth. And he doesn't say anything boastful about his own office. Why is that? That is because of knowledge. He knows how this faith that he has was received. He knows how this faith this faith was obtained. It was not by Peter, but by the righteousness of his God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice it says God and Savior, right? He is both. Peter knows that both his and the faith of his audience were not received by their own doing, but by his righteousness, the righteousness of the only God and Savior. And that's why he regards their faith as equal with his, equally precious, of the same kind. They had come to the same saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, to draw sort of in summary of Romans chapter 5, as we uh, heard Pastor Rob preach through a few months ago, just as in Adam, that's what it's referred to, in Adam, outside of Christ, all people stand condemned before God. In Christ, all people receive equal standing before God through faith in him because of what Christ has done. From the greatest to the least, every sin, every evil thing ever done is going to be punished. And from the greatest to the least, all who deny the Savior will suffer the wrath of God. That's what he's told us in his word. But from the greatest to the least, from the apostle Peter, who spent years with Christ all the way to the thief on the cross, who came to know him in his final hours of life, who confessed that he was a sinner and believed in Christ literally on his deathbed, except it wasn't a bed, right? It was hanging from a cross. All the way from Peter to the thief on the cross, all who trust in Christ are counted righteous. It doesn't matter if you signed up 10 years ago or you signed up today. Not that you can sign up, but you know what I mean. It doesn't matter. We're all given a faith of equal standing before God, a faith that is equally precious because it's by his perfect righteousness. Amen? There is nothing we can add to it and there is nothing we can take from it because the same saving faith, the same saving knowledge that saved Peter now saves us. There is no difference 
between the saving power of God in Peter's life, the saving power of God in my life, and the saving power of God in all of your lives. And this is the first and primary knowledge of God that we must have to enter into eternal life. The knowledge that Peter himself spoke of all the way back in the book of John, chapter 6. It says this in John 6, 66. After many of this, his, referring to Jesus, his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, the apostles, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, I love this verse, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We've come to believe and we've come to know. And how wonderful it is to know, amen? To know, to know that we can share the same faith as Peter, as Paul, as James, as Jude, to know Christ as God and Savior, right? That is everything. That is the knowledge we must have of him. And there is a, there is a shocking reality in this world that there are indeed folks who have sat in churches for years and years and years and have never once actually heard the gospel God forbid that we be that church. So, for <laughs> yeah, uh, we make it our aim to preach the gospel every week because it is the very core of everything that we hold on to for this life and the next. It is the starting point for everything. It is the knowledge that we need to gain life, to know God, to know Jesus as Savior. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, took on human flesh. God, the, the almighty, the omnipotent, the eternal God, stooped down to the place of a human, to the place of a servant, to live a perfectly righteous and holy and obedient life before God, a life that we could not live and the life that we should have lived but did not measure up. We rebel against God. We do it every day. Anybody here ever sinned before? Right? Blanket statement. There is none righteous. No one is good. Jesus came and did every good thing that we were supposed to do. And then on top of that, he took the punishment for all the evil that we have done upon himself. Dying a sinner's death taking the wrath of God upon himself in our place as God and as man, a perfect substitute. And then he rose from the grave. He resurrected by his own power, conquering sin and death and proving that his sacrifice was pleasing and perfect to the Father. That is the good news. That is the best news, right? It's not old news, it's good news, and we need it every single day. We need to remember what Christ has done. That's what, when we think about Thanksgiving, right? I mean, Thanksgiving should be the posture of our lives. That should be what we're all about, thankfulness, because we got the very thing that we did not deserve in Christ through trusting and believing in him, through saying, everything I've done is worthless. God, I'm a sinner. 
I'm a wretched person and I need a righteousness that is not of my own. I need the righteousness of Christ. I believe that he rose from the grave just like the scriptures said he would. That is what we must do in order to come and know him in this way that Peter speaks of, to know Jesus, to know that he is the Holy One of God. Now, I'm going to get a little technical here, but please stick with me because I promise this will all be of value. The word used there in John chapter 6 for know, right? We, have belie- we believe and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The word used there is the verb form of the Greek word gnosis, right? The word diagnosis brings this word to mind. It is the most commonly used word for know or knowledge in the Greek New Testament. Now, let me preface by saying this, okay? I am not a Greek scholar. I hate to break your guys' hearts there. Uh, I'm not a Greek scholar. But thankfully, many a Greek scholar have come before us, and praise the Lord, they have published that information, so we all have access to it. So uh, there are many resources from which we can learn and study the meaning of words. And there is a slight difference, as we'll see moving along, from this word for knowledge and the word for knowledge that we're going to be looking at in our passage. Greek is a very exact and specific language. They have way, 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 way more words than we have in English, and we have a lot of words. The Greek language is massive. They have three different words in the Greek New Testament scriptures that we translate simply into the English word know or knowledge. And these words correspond to different kinds of knowledge. Like, for example, if I say, I know Desi, I know two plus two is four, and I know my way around town. Okay, I've used the same word three times, but it means three different things. There's different kinds of knowledge. There's intellectual knowledge, there's relational knowledge, there's experiential knowledge. And the way gnosis, this word here, is often used in regard to saving knowledge is to know beyond just the facts, beyond just the information, right? We need the information of the gospel. We need to know who Jesus is, what he did, what he accomplished, and what we do with that information. But this word that's used here goes beyond that. It speaks to knowing personally and experientially, to, to truly knowing that Jesus has saved you, knowing about him and knowing him. It would be like if I stood up here and told you all that I know Tiger Woods, right? He and I are pretty tight. Well, the first thing you would ask me would be, well, that's cool. Where'd you meet him? And if I said, well, you know, I watched a uh, biography on him on ESPN, you're like, well, you, you don't actually know the guy. You just know some stuff about him from something that someone else said. That is exactly the knowledge that we're talking about here. We can know all kinds of stuff about Jesus without actually knowing him, right? Everybody knows or at least thinks they know something about him, but that does not mean that we know him in the way that Peter is talking about here. Knowing him personally when we respond to the gospel, to the good news, and the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God comes into us and makes his dwelling place in us and we know him and we are known by him. And we can say, I know him, he saved me. I know him in the very same way that Peter knew him. All right, so that was the first verse. We've we've made it out. We're still in the opening address here, but that's the place where Peter starts. 
And he says to this audience of his, to those of you who have this faith that we all share, the same faith, verse 2, says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So Peter greets them in this way with grace and peace. And I love this greeting. I absolutely love it. If you ever get an email from me, dan at calvarynapa.org, you'll see that's like kind of my little signature tagline thing, grace and peace. Uh, I love that greeting. Um, Two of the greatest gifts that we could possibly receive and that come only from God, grace and peace. Two things that we all greatly need, do we not? And two things that we greatly desire for others. The grace and the peace that I know I want others to know the same grace and the same peace. And according to Peter here, where are these things multiplied? Where do grace and peace increase and abound? It's in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So there's a different word here used for knowledge. The the word from John 6 is gnosis. The word here is epinosis. There's a prefix at the beginning of the word. It differs slightly from the knowing that we talked about before, and this is important. So I'm just going to read from someone much smarter than me so that this is great, accurate Greek information. Epinosis signifies clear and exact knowledge, precise and accurate, more intensive than gnosis because it expresses a more thorough participation in the object of knowledge on the part of the knowing subject. So this is not just a familiarity, not just an experiential knowledge, but it is an all-encompassing knowledge. It is an exact, it's a precise, it's an accurate knowledge And that involves mental labor on our part to attain to this type of knowledge. This knowledge, this knowledge that Peter is speaking of here, we have the great joy and privilege to spend our entire lives here on earth growing in it. Growing in the knowledge of God and growing in the knowledge of Christ. This is not, unfortunately, the type of knowledge that we just arrive to overnight. It's not like we wake up one day And boom, I know all there is to know about God and his holiness and his righteousness and how he wants me to live, right? This stuff takes time. This knowledge that Peter speaks of is a cumulative result of God's power working in us in study, in mental labor, in obedience, in testing, in struggle, in victory, in endurance, in patience, in days and months and years, in God's word, in prayer, in fellowship, in worship. It is an all-encompassing knowledge of God. This knowledge is a pursuit of all of God's truth in thought and in practice, knowing his holy word, knowing him, knowing his son. And this knowledge through which grace and peace abound, they increase, they multiply, they grow and grow and grow, is the same knowledge that's now used in verse 3. If you read with me, these are some of the most uh, beloved words in this entire letter. Verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory 
and excellence. What a wonderful and freeing reality. It doesn't get much clearer than this. God is sufficient. Sufficient means enough. Jesus Christ is enough. Enough. Everything that we need for life and godliness is found in him and it's granted by him. He is all sufficient. What a savior. What a father. What grace that everything we need is found in him. We don't have to go elsewhere. He doesn't just save us and then say, okay, now go find everything you need. He comes and he rescues us. He pulls us out of the pit. He sets our feet on solid ground. He brings us to life and then he supplies us with everything that we need in himself. He's met and provided and exceeded every need for us in himself. And now some of us, unfortunately, we might just kind of shrug at this like, I know, that's cool. I got that. Copy, heard it before. No big deal. I already understand this, right? I know, Jesus is all I need, yada, yada, yada. Boring. But do we really believe this? Do we really live like we believe this? I sure hope so. I hope we do. Let me, let me rephrase the question as one well-known commentator put it. Is anybody debating this? They certainly are, he says. We live in a time and a day where there is great doubt cast upon the sufficiency of Christ, where he appears to be something you either add to what you already have or something you get in order to add to. He is not enough in of himself. That is what the world is telling us. He is not enough in of himself. Yeah, you can get Jesus, but then you have to go find more knowledge. You have to go find more understanding. You have to go find holiness in your deeds and in your knowledge of the world. See, it's easy to say that we believe that Jesus is sufficient, that in knowing Christ we have all that we need, but the temptation is going to be always what? To go somewhere else or to try and add something else to what Christ has already done. Instead of running to the one who called us to his own glory and excellence, instead of trusting and resting in him and seeking the knowledge of God for all that we need, this is one of the most devastating ways in which we sell ourselves short. Seeking after life, godliness, peace, grace in other things other than the only place they can be found. Instead of just taking God at his word and trusting in his divine power to work through us in knowing him, we substitute that precious knowledge of God for the knowledge of self, for the knowledge of the world. So often we are lured away to seek after the things of life and godliness in the last places we would possibly ever find them, in the world's ideals, in the world's wisdom and philosophy, in the world's pleasures and possessions, in conforming to the culture that surround us, Now, this begs the question for each of us individually, in what ways am I rejecting the true knowledge of God in favor of something else, 
And I think this is a good question for us to ask when we examine ourselves daily because grace and peace are found in knowing him. So if I'm lacking in grace and peace, there's probably areas in which I am not relying on the knowledge of God and the power of God to carry me. How can we find out how we're doing this? Well, Peter helps us uncover them right here in verse 3. He says, God has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. So I'll put it as simply and as straightforwardly as possible. True grace, true peace, true life, and true godliness are found and only found through what? Through knowing God. Epinosis. It's a great word study to do. These things are only found through knowing God in every way that we can seek and know him. In this life, as we all know, particularly here in California, there are so many things competing for our attention, for our affections, and for our ultimate loyalty. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's so many empty pursuits. There's so many things that we think that we need, that we hold on to so tightly, things that we make so important in our lives, and that's different for each of us. It's not going to look the same for me as it looks for everyone else. There's so many things that we cling on to that we think are so important that in the end do not bring forth godliness. My professor uh, for biblical counseling, Mr. Kirby, is one of my favorite quotations from him. He says, we do what we do because we think what we think. Does that make sense? Our actions proceed from the way that we think. We do what we do because we think what we think. So we reveal the way that we think by the things that we do, do we not? And we're really good at overcomplicating this. We're good at overcomplicating everything, let's just be honest. But this in particular, it really is as simple as just asking ourselves this question. Is Jesus Christ enough for every area of my life, now and eternally? Is Jesus Christ enough? Bless you. Wherever the answer is yes, I will find grace, peace, life, and godliness increasing in the knowledge of God. But if the answer is no, I'm in some way looking to, I'm in some way trusting something else in those areas. There's something else that I think I'm going to find what I'm looking for in other than Christ and the knowledge of him. I'm trying to obtain what I need, what I think I need, through my own knowledge or through the world's knowledge, not through the knowledge of him. And this is where it's made crystal clear for us, guys, that theology, knowledge of God, and fruit cannot in any way be separated. Or maybe you've heard the phrase deeds and creeds, right? You've got deeds, you've got the good stuff that we do, and then you've got creeds, doctrines, truth, all that good stuff, all the stuff that uh, we acquire in our hours and our time of study and, and prayer and time in the word with the Lord. Deeds and creeds. There is a movement that exists now and there's a movement that's existed many times before that says we don't need all these creeds, we don't need all this doctrine and all this specific stuff about Jesus and God and all this stuff. What we really need to do 
is just try better to be good people and the rest will work itself out. There's a reason that the self-help crowd, the, the prosperity preaching draws a big crowd, right? We don't have to sit through all this theology stuff. It's a lot simpler, isn't it? It's just seven steps from the book of Lamentations to fixing your cat's self-esteem. Come back next week for lesson number two, right? It's very rudimentary. It's very simple. It's like, tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. How can I fix this? How can I get what I want? Oh, you just have to call upon the blessing. You just got to name it and claim it, brother. You know, silly stuff like this. And it draws a crowd because it removes the knowledge of God, the necessity of the knowledge of God from the equation. It's just, give me what I need to know. Tell me what to do. How do I get this? Give me the steps. Give me the practical. Just give me the practical stuff. Tell me what to do. But the reality is, my friends, my brothers and sisters, our understanding of God is the very thing that shapes the way we think. And we do what we do because we think what we think. So if we think rightly about God, we're going to do rightly by God. If we think wrongly about God, we're going to do wrongly by God. Does that make sense? It's a very simple equation. Right knowledge of God His power working in us leads to right behaviors, right thoughts. Knowledge of God, I would submit to you guys, is the starting point for everything else. It all begins with him. It all begins with knowing about him and with knowing him experientially and personally. It is the foundation of this letter that we're in today and every New Testament letter And the formula, it's not always exactly the same. There's some variation, but it pretty much always goes a little something like this. Hello, God is great. Here are the wonderful things he has done. Here's what the truth of those things means for us. Now, in light of that, go live in a way that brings him glory. In light of what he has done, go live in a way that brings him glory. See, what we do is always and only a response to what he has already done, to what he is doing. If we know accurately, if we know what God has said about righteousness, we know that our good deeds are not and cannot be done to earn God's favor, right? We cannot earn it. Only Christ can earn it. And a true and accurate knowledge tells us this, that God's favor only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way to gain his favor. And everything that we do from there forward is for him and to him. What God has done leads me to do what I do. Everything that we do after we come to know him personally as Savior, as Lord, everything we do from there is an act of Worship, it's an act of gratitude for what he has already done. We worship him with our lives by responding to the good things that he has done, to the good news of the gospel. He has granted us all that we need for life and godliness by his divine power through the knowledge of him. Just as we are saved by grace through faith, Knowledge of him is the channel through which we receive what he has granted. 
And I promise you, all of us here, wherever you are on the spectrum of knowledge, you have not arrived. You have not yet reached your destination. There is one all-knowing being in the universe, and that is God. And we are not him. Ergo, we always have more to learn, right? We will spend the rest of this life and the rest of eternity knowing more and more of him. We're not God. So none of us has arrived. There is so much more to know. There is so much more to know of him. There is so much of him to know. And praise God that he can be known. Amen? He can be known. That he chose to reveal himself to us through his creation and through his word. That the God of the universe, okay, we can barely wrap our minds around our own local geography, right? We've got like Sonoma and Fairfield, okay, what's the other one? American Canyon in this direction, Yountville, okay, the God who is outside of and created the universe which to our brains might as well be infinite. That God saw fit to tell us about himself and his will in writing that we may know of him and know him. Isn't that amazing? Has the reality of that really sunk in to our minds that the God of the universe spoke to us in words, unchanging words, words that are written down that we can go to day in and day out and find truth that does not change. And there are two avenues that we can take with that knowledge, with that understanding. The first goes a little something like this. There's so much disagreement on all this stuff. I mean, you got hundreds of denominations out there. Nobody can agree on anything Uh, He thinks this, she thinks that, they think the other. We can't really know anything about God, so why even bother, right? We're never going to come to an agreement on everything. So what's the point? Why even waste our time with this? Why don't we just do our best to be good people and love people? That's one side. The second, the biblical root looks a little more like this. The everlasting God, the creator and sustainer of all things, has made a way for us, mortal, sinful humans, to know him and to be made right with him and to have fellowship with him and to know him as Father and as Lord and bring him glory in light of that. And it's his desire that I give myself in this life to knowing him, to walking with him, to understanding him. So I better go for it, right? For my own good and for his glory, I better go for it with all that I have. If God is who he says he is and he's revealed himself to this world through his word, I better open that thing up and know what he said about himself. What else can I possibly do? If there is a God, if he is my maker I want to know what he's like. I want to know him. Do you guys want to know him? I hope so. So in closing thought, my question to myself, first and foremost, and to all of us is, is knowing God the great treasure of my life? Is knowing God the great treasure of your life? And if not, why? 
is the value of knowing him so great, is it so precious that if tomorrow he takes away what we would say everything from us, if he takes away our possessions, if he takes away our homes, if he takes away any type of stability we have, if he takes away our physical health, if he takes away our families, if he takes away our accomplishments, any material comforts that we have, if he takes away our constitutional rights and freedoms that we cherish so dearly, if he takes even our very lives, will we still be found grateful just to know him? That is the question. Is knowing him enough? Is he so valuable to us that if we lost everything else, it would still be enough just to know him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Is that enough? Is Jesus Christ enough in every single area of my life that I perceive a need? Has God really met those needs? Can I really know that those needs are met? Yes, I can. But it all comes through a knowledge of him, seeking him out. That is our chief end. Knowing God forever. Worshiping Him forever. Enjoying Him forever. He knows what's good for us. Why? Because He made us, right? We have the, the manufacturer specs given to us. And He says, these are the assembly instructions. Here's the care and maintenance instructions. Here's the disassembly instructions. He's given us all that we need through the knowledge of Him, through His Word through walking with him, through obeying him, we will find always that he provides. And he has provided our greatest need in his son. We needed a savior and he gave that savior. And everything else is just more and more and more abundant grace. Everything in this life, any good and perfect thing is a gift from whom? From the father, that's right, from God. So praise God that he's met our greatest need and praise God that in him he meets all of our needs and that super abundantly beyond that he gives and gives and gives more than we could ever ask or imagine. I'm going to close with the Apostle Paul's sentiment on this idea of knowing God. Now it's not in the exact same context so don't get mad at me but it does give us the Apostle Paul's perspective on this very thing. This is a Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. If you want to turn there, you may. If not, I'm just going to begin reading. It says, But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere Rubbish. Rubbish is a very nice word that's used here for what the word actually is. I count all things as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. 
even if God decides that in suffering we will know him greater? Are we willing to say, Lord, whatever you have for me, I want it. If knowing you means I have to suffer the loss of all things, if knowing you means that I have to suffer physically, mentally, emotionally, so be it. I want to know you like that. I want to know you that badly. I want to know you like the way that Christ came to know in obedience, in suffering, in hardship. Oftentimes, it's not the easy times in which we grow the most, is it? It's challenge and struggle and difficulty that causes us to run to God, to run and seek his knowledge, to seek his wisdom, to seek his will. And in doing so, we come to know him better. And we see that even in those times, he is faithful and he meets all of our needs. He's given us all that we need in himself through faith in his son. Father, thank you that you have given us your scriptures, your holy word, God, that you have exalted. Father, I thank you that you've preserved it for us, that we can carry it with us on our phones, in our pockets, in our Bibles. Many of us have many Bibles. We have a shelf full of them. And Father, I asked that you would kindle a fire in us wherever we are to pick up those Bibles, God, wherever we are now to pick them up more, to seek that time with you, Father, to know you, to know what you're like, to know your nature, to know your will, to know your goodness, your mercy, your justice, God. All of these things shape our thinking. They renew our mind and they allow us to live this life in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to you. And to that end, we have been made to glorify and enjoy you, Lord, and to know you. I thank you that we can know you. I thank you that in your son, you've made a way for us to come to you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, Lord, and you've given us all things in him. And for anyone here today who does not know you, Father, I ask that you would soften their hearts, Lord, and open their eyes to your truth, to the great and wonderful knowledge of you, the knowledge that in faith and in trust in Jesus, we are saved. We are given his righteousness. We're given his holiness and his perfection, and we are no longer under condemnation, but we are counted as righteous and beloved children, never to be tossed away, never to be forsaken. God, may these things shape the very core of who we are and may our lives be a living sacrifice to you in response to the good that you have done. We thank you for all things. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.